Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for April 17th, 2022, Easter Sunday for 2022. Um, I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shifflett. Good evening, sir. All right, good to have everybody back. The first time in a few weeks that we've all been on and been here for the show. No guests this week, which um, Easter Sunday, I had more than one uh, person say, love to be on, can't be on on Easter, and we totally understand. Uh, And then um, we kind of needed some time because, like Tim and I, I think we discussed one topic outside of our outstanding guest uh, Sasha Eisenberg last week, and we had planned about three or four, so uh, maybe we can actually get through some, through some things we really need to um, lay audio on, and one of those is kind of what's going on down in the Sunshine State of Florida. Um, we've discussed Ron DeSantis and what he's done many, many times, but it just doesn't stop, and it just keeps pushing on and on, and I think if I try to discuss everything, I'm going to forget 10 things. But let's start off with, uh, of course, we've discussed the, you know, as it's termed, um, don't say gay bill, but we know that, it, that there's many, much, much more to it. Um, obviously, it involves math word problems now, we found out this past week. Um, but it, it, them and the relationship with Walt Disney World, and that's many amusement parks, I think at least – Four major amusement parks and then some water parks and some camping resorts. And, I mean, it's a massive complex that brings in millions and millions of dollars of tourism money to the state of Florida. And Ron DeSantis is willing to use them as a political punching bag. Um, Catherine, uh, what are your thoughts on the way that Ron DeSantis seemingly just has no fear of of Walt Disney and the tourism money they bring into the state of Florida. Yeah, it's really pretty shocking when you think about the, how popular Disney is along with all the other associated um, projects or, you know, businesses and that he would be so, outwardly hostile towards uh, such a large employer and huge contributor to their tax base. I mean, I can't even imagine what it would be like to not have Disney in Florida. Um, I I just don't understand the uh, logic behind it. Uh, I know that, you know, they, I don't know what all they're upset about, I guess, some of Disney's policies, but it seems to me that if you're really concerned about it, the way to do it is to go quietly to Disney and say, hey, you know, we're getting complaints about A, B, and C, but I think the honest truth is they're not, and this is just a ploy to, uh, like you said, get votes, get, you know, national attention for... uh, you know, whether he's going to run for president or whatever he's going to run for. But it is really shocking. If I lived in Florida, I would be very unhappy. Yeah, and I don't think it's really any policy Disney's done. Basically, Disney pushed back and said, you know, we don't live in the time that, you know, Steamboat, uh, was it Steamboat Mickey or Steamboat Willie, the first Mickey Mouse cartoon uh, came on in like the 1920s? We don't live in that time, and society's, you know, kind of advanced a bit. And so that's really the only transgression that they've really done. Now, of course, a lot of um, conservatives have called them groomers and, and, and used that uh, buzzword, um, acting like somehow Disney is, um, you know, 
polluting children and trying to get them into, you know, other activities that they might not be involved with. Uh, just very um, uh, coded language, if you will, in the way they're um, going about this um, crusade against Disney World. And it's not like, oh, well, they're offending Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse and Donald Duck. It's that they're messing with the tourism industry, um, the lifeblood of Florida's economy, and the lifeblood of really their um, way to fund their government because they don't have a state sales tax among other things. Um, Tim, your thoughts? Well, he's proved that he's more than willing to go all the way, and and uh, I see things a little bit differently because, you know, he can push and push and push against Disney all he wants to and get away with it. It's not going to cost him because Disney has not said, okay, if you do A, we'll do B. If you don't want us here, we'll leave. He, they, they haven't said any of that, not even hinted it, and he believes in his heart of hearts they're not going to go anywhere, just like the movie industry didn't leave this state right here uh, when a lot of stuff went down. And so he he figures that Disney is a, a, a good whipping boy, and uh, he has a very devoted face that's willing to go right along with him. Uh, and and so in his way of thinking, this dog whistle stuff, which is what it is, of course, is a win-win. He don't have to talk about anything except how evil other people are. And Disney's one of the bad guys. And uh, he can have his cake and eat it, too, because he can, he can lambast Disney. And, and Disney is not going to pick up and leave Orlando. And he knows that, and they're not even going to threaten to do it. If they did threaten to do it, uh, you would see him change his tune really quickly, and you would see uh, a lot of the voters in Florida up in arms about it. But if nothing's going to happen except, you know, he's going to talk, then, you know, basically nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen bad to him the way he figures it. Only good things can happen to him if if he makes an enemy out of people like Disney. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, obviously, Disney has way too much invested for over, I guess, are getting going on 50 years now that they've built these parks. And um, I did see something like it. It said the same thing. It was it was very like, what could Disney do? To push back, and it said obviously Disney's not going to leave. And one thing it did mention, like if they were going to build a new park, um, you know, a new theme park instead of building it in Orlando, possibly taking it. I guess Anaheim is where Disneyland is in California, and kind of beefing that up because or expanding Disneyland. Because I didn't know this until um, I guess you know several years ago, but it wasn't like I knew it always that Disneyland is nowhere in size as close to just the one Disney World Park. Not talking about Animal Kingdom oh, and yeah. Epcot Center. And it's just, what, a quarter of the size? It's, it's a lot smaller. So they could beef up Disneyland over time as a way to say, hey, at some point down the road, if you don't change. And then they would, of course, expand their business model on the West Coast so it would be a financial plus for them. That's something they could do that would not completely call Ron DeSantis' bluff, but at least say, like, we could have a plan over a long period of time of something we could do. Um, But then this past weekend, a lot of right-wing conservatives protested Disneyland. Actually, you know, Cars, they broke down cars, and I guess it's, it's you know, I don't exactly know how you break down a car. I'm, I'm sure you pull a, a hose or whatever and block the entrance to Disneyland and all these different things and just made um, these people that were going into Disneyland today's time miserable, and this is probably some, uh, you know, uh, area's spring break week, and obviously a lot of people go all the time, and I would think a lot of Floridians would go right now if it's not spring break for other places in the state. 
I'm sorry, in the country, and therefore these people are going to get mad at these people protesting. I think definitely these protesters have gone too far. Um, Catherine, what do you think the reaction is going to be to what went down, I guess, mainly yesterday? Um, no reaction. I mean, people will be annoyed and, uh, you know, frustrated, but I can't imagine that it will have any negative impact on Disney. Um, and as long as it's over now, I don't think it'll have, I don't think, I don't think it's a big deal. Okay. Um, Tim, your thoughts on the protest and how, you know, just the average, maybe apolitical or swing voter that came through, or, or very moderate Republican, they come into that. How are they going to react to that protest? I, I don't. I don't think much will come of it because, uh, you know, I, I, I watched the news at several points. They didn't say a word about it anywhere. Uh, there might have been might have been some local news down there about it, but the average person around, probably around the state of Florida, didn't even know about it. So I don't. I don't think there'll be be much of a reaction at all. Yeah. And you're right, if people that know about it, only people yeah. on Twitter and the super-informed know about it, that's not going to have the same reach. Right. Yeah, um, well, now there's other things that Ron DeSantis has done. He, along with many other uh, conservative states, have passed very, very restrictive uh, laws on reproductive rights. Um, and it kind of fits into the same, you know, Social agenda, you know, um, uh, voting that this other bill does, and um, and I saw a poll. If you polled Florida and Catherine, you may even have better numbers than I read online this past week. Net eighteen percent of Floridians support reproductive rights. Um, at what point do they do, does Ron DeSantis and the Republicans of Florida pass these laws that are not supported by? According to this poll, 18, a net 18% of voters, and there's some pushback. Wait, you're saying that only 18% of no, no, voters it's, support? No, it's net 18%. Like if I, I'm not gonna, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. And if, Tim, if you do, shout them out. Like 58 to 40, and when you minus the against from the pro, you would have net 18%. So it's a, it's a popular position to have reproductive rights, and Ron DeSantis is going against the will of people. I mean, it's not a 50-50 issue, not a 52-48 issue. It's a plus 18 issue for having more reproductive rights. This is the way, this is the, way the numbers are pretty much across the country. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, at, at the highest numbers, we're like at 70%. Uh, of people approve of abortion in some context, uh, a, a, you know, some limits or completely free, but are completely complete access, about 70%. But our elected officials uh, in many states uh, don't legislate that way. Um, they're either personally uh, have this as an as an important issue, or they're um, they're uh, pressured by um, interest groups, small groups of people who are against um, access to abortion and other um, birth control and other um, reproductive um, health care. So um, this is not unusual. Um, it's very frustrating and. Uh, I don't think um, – I think a lot of people think that it's not – it doesn't really have an, have an impact on them because they can figure something out. But the people that are really hurt by this are um, people who are uh, economically under disadvantaged and primarily uh, people of color – and rural people, because there are, in Georgia, for example, there's, I can't remember the number, but 
over 100 counties that don't have an OB-GYN doctor. Not just, I mean, never mind about access to um, abortion, but just a, an OB-GYN doctor who you could see to get prenatal care or, uh, you know, a uh, pregnancy test, all that kind of stuff. So um, we have a serious problem in this country about taking care of uh, maternal health and access to reproductive um, health care. It's a serious problem, and it's going to get worse if SCOTUS um, does what we think they do and, you know, gut row. Okay. Tim, now we have both issues now. We have Florida voters. I mean, Florida voters, I mean, we remember the year they actually voted in Ron DeSantis, they supported a $15 minimum wage. They supported giving, you know, uh, felons who had ex-felons who had served their time and paid their debt to society the vote back. Um, we have the polling on some of these other issues. We know that when the uh, shootings at Stoneman Douglas High School, it, um, you know, that uh, nightclub in Orlando happened, that, you know, there were a lot of uh, people talking about more restrictions on um, access to guns. I mean, this is not a super conservative state for a lot of people. This is not Wyoming. Um, this is not, you know, western Nebraska. But seemingly Ron DeSantis is governing like it is. At what point do these Florida voters that, that you know, in the past elected Bill Nelson that very well, uh, you know, voted for Barack Obama both times, that have supported Democratic politicians much more recently than a lot of other states, when do they vote how they feel about issues and seemingly not how they feel about politicians. Well, in, in that first tier of states that you mentioned, the small red states, in those states, statewide officials that are running for statewide office, uh, they're running in their primaries. That's what they're doing. That's the way they're going to govern if they're already in office. That makes sense. In Ron DeSantis' case, most Florida statewide officials are looking at the national picture. There's no doubt that Ron DeSantis would like to run for president. Uh, that's the way he's governing in Florida. And, you know, you mentioned Obama taking the state, and, you know, of course, Bill Clinton took it once, and um of course, Bill Nelson was there, and but but I, you know what? I, I I just don't think it's that Florida any longer. Let let me tell you something right now. In in complete uh, polling, DeSantis has about a nine point lead on Charlie Chris, which means basically he's cruising to reelection. These guys are not being made to pay for their positions with their jobs. Why the voters have that disconnect is totally beyond my ability to reason. You mentioned the shootings down there, but for some reason, beyond understanding, people just don't put guns and gun violence into the same conversation. It just don't happen, and they don't hold their elected officials accountable for it. Even the legislature right now is fearful of DeSantis. Um, they, they actually surrendered their authority to him to draw district lines. That's the newest thing down there. Uh and if they pass his map, the Republicans pick up five congressional districts in Florida. Um, the court system is very conservative in Florida. It's been packed by Republicans. Democrats in the legislature are basically helpless to stop anything. That leaves the voters. Well, I just gave you the bad news there. Not to mention... Uh, DeSantis is above water in his approval rating. 
I think he has a 46% approval rating and a 41% disapproval rating. That holds. How do you beat him? Somebody tell me. I don't know, but it seems to me that Florida's drifting away from us, guys. We've talked about this before, but the Florida of 2022 is not the Florida of even 2008 anymore. Now, is it? Yeah, I I think what I see, because, you know, I think a lot of us being from Georgia, we go to Florida more than the average person would because it's around the country. It's next door. And it looks and feels around the beach, you know, a bit like California um, as far as just the, the way people function and just the climate and everything else. But I get the sense that the people that are moving to Florida, um, the older voters that live in that center of the state, they register and they vote. And a lot of the other voters that are younger that move to, you know, the Miami-Dade area, the um, Duval County, Jacksonville area, the um, – Tampa area, Orlando area, they don't register as quickly and vote as in strong enough numbers. I just don't think they get a lot of their residents that are more moderate to progressive leaning to vote. They're just kind of a non-voting state, and we heard this about a lot of other states. We hear this about Texas still. We heard it about Georgia, and I do think it would take a massive investment of money to, to change that profile, but given how powerful Ron DeSantis has become in the right-wing uh, ecosphere and that Florida is the third largest state in America and growing every day, I think it would be worth the investment, spend you know, millions of dollars registering voters and trying to push back. Because, like I said, I just don't feel this is – you know, maybe the panhandle's like Alabama, but I don't think the whole state's like Alabama. I don't think it's like a lot of your western states. I, I, I wouldn't give up on it. Now, I wouldn't make it the linchpin to my strategy to win, you know, eight months from now. But um, I wouldn't give up on it long term by any means. Catherine, I know you probably have access to some of this information. What's your thoughts on, you know, how do we salvage Florida at some point? I I really don't um I mean I guess it's going to take you know a lot of boots on the ground a lot of talking to voters um and I think it has to be authentic and I suspect it's probably going to be better coming from um interest groups and affinity groups more than parties, um, I think we they need to figure out what the what are the most important issues to voters in Florida, and how to persuade how to persuade them to vote for candidates that uh, will you know legislate with those values in mind. Um, but I think it, like you said, it's it's a very expensive undertaking and it can't start six months before an election. It's got to be, you know, we say this all the time. It's got to be around the clock, around the year. Like you can't just come on 10 months before an election and start expecting to get a lot of results. Yeah, and this I think that you know DeSantis is overreaching, so that should help our cause over time. Speaking of well, it's not. overreaching. Go ahead, Tim. It, it's not the poll. The polls say it's not. The bottom line: the voters seem ready to reelect DeSantis by a decent margin. So there is no revolt, at least yet. Now, why that is, I don't know. It might be because of his personal popularity. Uh, We've talked about this before. He has a lot of the views of Donald Trump, except he seems a little bit more reasonable when he pitches it out there than Donald Trump does, who, you know, is, well, is Donald Trump. 
And to me, that makes him very, very dangerous and uh, a tough nut to crack. Um, yeah, he's, he's smarter and more tactical. I think we got a major problem down there. A major problem. Yeah. But it's just one that can't be ignored. Um, it's too big a state. Um, That's you know, true. I think for a long but, time, but, you know, people would go, well, tech, we're never going to win Texas. And they ignored Texas, and, you know, if you're running in 92 or 96 or 2000, yeah. you probably should have ignored Texas. But, um, but just Florida, in this think, election, is um, just, just to in this Texas election, just in this election, if I want to put my money somewhere, you'd be better served to put it in Georgia this year than you would in Florida. I would not overspend oh, yeah. well, in Florida. Not this year. Yeah, well, that, I'm saying for not for persuading voters right now. I'm saying for long term, and that's a different pot of money, uh, a different project completely. Um, you know that. Then if you want to, if because obviously the, they don't have a Senate. Well, they do have a Senate seat up, but I mean Raphael Warnock's reelection is is far more likely than Val Demings upsetting. Um, uh, that Marco is Rubio. true. Right. Yes. Well, now let's move on to another state that um, you know has a governor that has national aspirations that's willing to have you know performance art, if you will, um, to try to get attention, and that is uh, Greg Abbott in Texas. Um, this past week, um, he took trucks that had mainly produce on them, and after they had gone through, you know, border patrol, and those were checked. Whatever you know, complaints people have about the border, people bringing trucks directly through the border where our border patrol actually checks them, it's not what they've really ever complained about because that's just foolishness. But then as a performance art measure, he would pull those trucks into a way station and check them again, and apparently they were not nearly as efficient, and it caused um, some major, major backups to where they thought – some produce would become, you know, more scarce. It would add to our inflation worries. Now, luckily, some type of deal was reached where he stopped doing this. I guess he got enough B-roll footage to cut his campaign commercials. Um, but, <laughs> Catherine, what was your take on um, Greg Abbott's uh, stunt this past week? That's a good word for it, a stunt. Um you know, it's hard not to have a little conspiracy theory float through your head sometimes. Like, this was a good way to, you know, beat up on the uh, current administration and Democrats because it's going to have an impact on prices. And and it's also an – it could be um, – message to have something to do with immigration so it was a stunt and you know we're all we all may end up paying higher prices and or not having access to some of the um produce that we'd like to have yeah um Tim, I think Catherine's right that it was kind of lower risk for Greg Abbott because if the prices do go up, they can just they can just be blamed on Joe Biden and the Democratic Party, the administration in charge. Because you know most people in most states outside of Texas are going to go, Greg, who? Um, how's he in charge anyway? Yeah. Um, well, and, and so what was even as low risk for Greg Abbott to accomplish whatever goals he wanted to. He, he he got he got blowback from one group that I don't think he thought about, and that was the truckers. The National Trucking yeah. Association just went off the rails on him, and apparently he caved and halted the inspections uh, uh, because he was catching this backlash from from directions he didn't expect. Uh, you know, he'd made the border his top issue in his campaign, and uh, 
So the way he got out of this is he claimed to reach some agreement with Mexico. You know, he was hollering this stuff about drugs and human trafficking. Well, for starters, illegal immigration in Texas, they they don't come in uh, in trucks at the major border crossings. They, they, They come in through the desert and the mountains and out in the middle of nowhere and stuff like that. That's how they get in. And as far as drugs, well, i tell you what. They inspected 6,000 trucks in the last week, and they found nothing. Uh, so, you know, Abbott even had a response for that. He said, well, of course they didn't find anything because they knew we were searching them. Oh, come on. Uh, Catherine called it a stunt. That's what it is. That's what that chartering buses to take migrants to Washington, D.C. was all about. Uh, Now, the funny thing here, guys, is that Abbott's running about, oh, 7.7 points ahead of O'Rourke in the polls. He's not running as well in Texas as DeSantis is in Florida. It seems that Texas is becoming more like Florida, and Florida's becoming more like Texas. Hey, maybe we ought to throw some money down that way, huh? What do you think? Oh, I think the same model should be used for Texas because basically anywhere that's adding lots of people, more of those people are going to be younger, moderate to progressive. They're going to be – possibly um, a people of color, they're going to be, you know, they're not all going to fit, but they'll be more likely to fit uh, highly educated or higher educated, um, you know, not as afraid of change. They're going to fit more in the Democratic constituency than the Republican on average. I mean, obviously, there's going to be anomalies, but, and that's why, you know, in these states, they're adding people, you got to invest in. I mean, the states that aren't adding people and they're, you know, pretty Republican, I don't really have a good strategy for them at all. Tim, you mentioned the buses that uh, Greg Mm Abbott sent up with migrants from the border Mm -hmm. to Washington, D.C. Was Mm -hmm. there any policy goal there, or was that a complete another performance stunt? Uh, I thought it was a stunt, and let me assure you that the feds were not amused. Oh, Jim Psaki had a fit, if you saw her mention it in the Daily Presser, and uh, I I don't know if he'll be doing that again either, because that one didn't go over quite as well as he had hoped it would, but again, I, I think that, you know, he's playing more to his base than he is to the voters at large in the state of Texas. They've got to make these guys pay for some of these stunts that they pull, or they're going to keep pulling them. Why wouldn't they keep pulling them? They're winning with them. I'd keep doing it, too, until I lost. Uh, But uh, my goodness, some of this stuff just, it don't make any sense at, at all. Fresh produce ruining at the border. While they're searching 6,000 trucks and finding absolutely nothing, just make up a problem that there is not. My goodness. Um, but, I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm perturbed because they're not, they're not being made to pay for it, and they should be, because that's not good government, is it, guys? It's not, most definitely, and we'll get into that bigger question in a second, but I do want to bring it back to this. Um, you know, Donald Trump, he's got to decide if he's going to run or not. People assume right. if he runs, he's the likely nominee of the GOP. If he doesn't run, every poll I've seen says Ron DeSantis is the default number two. I don't know where Greg Abbott even falls. Catherine – is Greg Abbott and maybe other politicians that want to try to become the, you know, stick it to the liberals, own the libs kind of politician, as long as DeSantis is there, do they have any room to become second in line to Trump? 
Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, I suspect there – I wasn't expecting this question, so I don't have any names, but I'm going to bet there's some there's some people out there that can run against – can can do a – you know, to run against Ron Santos and Ron DeSantis and – I don't know if they can win, but I think there's, there could be a pretty good contest in 24 if Trump doesn't want run. I mean, if Trump doesn't want run, oh, I think I it's going to be a, it's going to be a, you know, another clown car of candidates. Oh, I definitely think somebody could run against DeSantis and could win, but they wouldn't win, you know, with the DeSantis model. I mean, it would be. You know, let's just say I'm just gonna pick somebody that's very different. Tim Scott is the happy conservative warrior. Um, it would be the Republicans them wanting something different. But if Greg Abbott's gonna be Ron DeSantis light, he's just not doing as good a job as Ron DeSantis. Oh, I Although I will say this for him, he does have the the, the um, benefit of the long Mexico America border in his state, and we see um, how a lot of politicians are using that issue continually into this campaign tim same question what's greg abbott's move here um if if he's performing not for the voters of texas but for the voters of the gop electorate in 2024 2028 to get past um desantis you know using the same playbook maybe maybe he's thinking about perhaps a spot in the u.s senate john cornyn's not going to be there forever after all um, I, I don't think he would go after Cruz, but, but uh, you know, if, if one of those two seats is going to open up, it's going to be Cornyn's seat, and that would position uh, Abbott perfectly to run for it. Uh, the politicians, though, get that Potomac River uh, stuff going through their heads, and uh, I'm sure the lowest of the low Congress critters and state officials around the country and all types are, th- are mapping out how somehow they could be president. And why shouldn't they think about it when somebody like Trump managed to become president? But if uh, what if Trump doesn't run and DeSantis doesn't run? What then? Does that open it up for a guy like Abbott? I don't know. Texas is an awfully big state with a lot of lot of, lot of votes. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's he'd a have a huge side state side. party pushing him, so why not? Yeah, I mean, that that's assuming that Donald Trump swallows his pride, lowers his ego, and doesn't have to get his win back. And then, of course, Ron DeSantis um, just completely changes course. So that's, you know, a lot of ifs. I mean, it, and they could happen. I mean, but um, it, it just as odd, I guess, you know. Uh, Abbott sees this year, with it being a Republican trend year, like it's looking. I mean, it could change. And then the fact that um, Latino voters along the um, Texas-Mexico uh, border have shifted a bit. He sees that in his favor to where he doesn't have to worry about Beto O'Rourke as much as he might have in, say, a 2018 race. Um, mm-hmm. Well, let's kind of talk about this immigration the- issue. Go ahead, Tim. I, I was just going to say one thing. Of what what I personally think is, if the Republicans win Congress, I think Trump runs. Why would he not? And if they don't win Congress, I, I think maybe he won't run. That's that's what I think well, is going to happen with Donald Trump. It, well, and if they don't win the House of Representatives, then everybody's going to have to really look at, you know, what's yeah, going on I, with the political dynamics yeah, and recalculate I, everything. Uh, That's going to be a, a, a I, quick sprint I, to figure I, out I said, what I said Congress. The, I said Congress because the Senate is a bit more of a dicey proposition, even yeah. in a, a, a year that looks so good for Republicans. But, see, I would think a split decision where, you know, Raphael Warnock holds on, and let's say, and of course Mark Kelly holds on. We, I mean, now Nevada is, is in, in peril. 
we hold on there, and let's say we pick up uh, the Pennsylvania seat. Um, you know, I, I think that's possible, and then we still lose um, the House just because redistricting and the fact that it's, it's right. a tough cycle. Right. Um, and so right. that split decision, I think, would be enough for them to point to, oh, look, we've taken Nancy Pelosi out of power, and Republicans are coming back and, and whatnot. I mean, and Trump's ego doesn't need much. I mean, they could win nothing, and he could say, oh, well, I wasn't on the ballot. They need me. You know, Whatever problem somebody could come up with, Donald Trump could make himself the answer. Um, <laughs> but let's talk about this immigration issue because it, it's so vexing in a lot of ways because, you know, immigration undoubtedly had increased, and we can talk about that being – Something that was necessary, not a bad thing, but something that was necessary, but it had increased. But COVID brought immigration down, and I don't know that it's really returned anywhere close to the pre-COVID levels um, or even the pre-Donald Trump levels, um, the way he villainized um, people from south of the border. And yet it's creeped back up as an issue. This past week, Kay Ivey, governor of Alabama, in case you don't know your geography very well, does not border Mexico. Um, she cut this issue that was almost exclusively on um, immigration. It talked about, oh, if there's any more immigrants, we're going to have to learn Spanish. Um, yeah, I don't think so. Um, uh, I think there's a few Alabamians that might have to learn English first, um, and they've lived here their whole life. Um, and then um, – there was a, an ad, J.D. Vance cut in Ohio that talked about immigration. So apparently this is still this hot-button issue. And this is at a time in which we can't fill all our jobs. And it's not those high-degree jobs that we're, have, we're have, having trouble finding people for. It's the jobs that a lot of legal immigration could fill if we would – pull more people in to fill those types of hourly wage jobs, but yet we have politicians vilifying immigration. And at the same time, they complain that our economy is doing so poorly because we don't have enough workers, and it's this circular problem. Catherine, when do these government officials that are hired to do good things for the people of the country and their state, whether they're Democratic or Republican, get back to business and stop making problems out of things that really don't exist. Well, not before the election. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and that's the, you know, that's the rub with, with all these matters is that everybody's looking at the elections and for Congress every two years, they're, you know, they, they hardly have a chance to, get anything done before they start to run. I'm not saying that that's a legitimate excuse, but that's their excuse. And and the administration is facing the same kind of problems. It's just, um, I, and I don't know what the solution is. I've been like this now for quite a while, and there doesn't seem to be a good solution out there to fix it, and I, I don't know what it's going to take. I wish I had an answer for you. Tim, uh, same question. Um, looking at these, you know, immigration ads, um, you know, they're, they're making it still an issue when it's probably not the salient issue. It, it even, you know, was in 2016 in reality. Um, why do they keep going back to this? Well, uh, that's what the Republican Party's doing right now. It's not just immigration. It's critical race theory, and it's uh, gays and lesbians and transgenders and and, uh, all of this social stuff and all of these cultural issues. They're not going to talk about health care. They don't have a plan. They're not going to talk about, you know, what they would do about inflation. They don't have a plan. 
they're not going to talk about, well, unemployment's way down. They don't want to remind voters of that. They're not going to talk about anything except this cultural stuff to gin up their base and get them out to vote because it looks like Republicans want to vote this year and Democratic voters, their vote is going to be depressed this year. And they're going to drive them to the polls in order to win. And, of course, they're going to mention illegal immigrants because they think it's a winning issue. Never mind that the truth of the matter is is, is, is that uh, mo- most of them don't – most of the illegal immigration problems we have in this country are not down there on that border. It's from legal immigrants who enter this country legally – and then, you know, when their green cards or visas or whatever run out, they just don't go back home. That's where the plurality, something like 40% of all illegal immigrants enter the country right now. But, but they want to talk about that border. It's a good visual. They want visuals mm-hmm. of people streaming across the border uh, in late May, and they can say, look at there, look at there, illegal, 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 illegal. And they see it as a, a as a winning issue, and uh, right now I think they're right. They're they're meaner than we are right now. They're certainly more vocal than we are right now. Democrats are bringing pillars to the fight to have a pillow fight, and Republicans are inflicting headwinds when they come to the fight. And you know we're we're gonna we're gonna have to mix it up with these guys. We got to tell people the truth, and we got to do it loudly so that they can see uh, that this bunch is talking all all of this cultural stuff is full of it. I mean, they're they're talking yeah. about problems that don't exist and making them into big problems, and people are buying it. Well, and I think the problem is 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 we can tell the truth on a uh, situation like. Uh, issue like immigration, but it's going to take paragraphs, not a bumper sticker, you know. Right. And so, therefore, yeah. it's hard to just summarize it so quickly, uh, but that's what government should be, but that's not what campaigns are. Um, well, let me ask you this next question, Catherine. Latino voters, we know in Texas and probably some other states, probably Florida as well, since we're keeping those themes, they um, – turned a little bit more towards Republicans from 2016 to 2020. If they continue to be one of the GOP's whipping um, posts, at what point does some of those voters resent that? And even if they might have voted on X economic issue or Y um, social issue that was not immigration infecting them directly, do they um, you know, turn off the GOP or at least not come out? Well, I think one of the thing, one of the myths that we um, that we have to work on is that not all Latino voters vote the same, and immigration is not the top priority for all Latino voters. Um, and I think we make a mistake in reaching that in, in drawing that conclusion. Um, so we need to, um, re-examine how we talk about, talk to Latino voters and try to figure out what issues are important to them beyond, uh, immigration. Uh, like you said, economic issues, um, healthcare, uh, education, uh, there's a lot of things outside of immigration that are of interest and concern to Latino voters. Um, But, you know, again, this is messaging that should be going on all the time, not just in an election year. You know, Catherine, um, they've done a lot of studies on, on what has happened with Latino voters in the last couple of elections. And we've seen some of the figures like from 2016 to 2020 down in South Florida. I mean, right in the middle of strong Democratic territory 
Uh, Joe Biden, for instance, ran much, much worse than Hillary Clinton did among Latino voters. But when you break it down, and down in Texas, the same thing happened along the border there. We started losing Latino voters. We wouldn't actually lose these areas, but we just weren't winning them by anywhere near as much, and it was hurting us statewide in these places. And it turns out what we're really losing is Latino men under the age of 50. We're we're starting to lose those. And it appears that the bombastic stuff that Donald Trump and some of his followers and other candidates who run and talk like him, that seems to be appealing to Latino men under the age of 50. It's like a macho thing or something. And it it, it isn't like like an issue or anything as much as it is a a cultural thing to them because that sort of uh, activity is appealing to these voters. Uh, You did mention one good thing. Immigration is not the chief issue. Latino voters, I'm sure, are like other voters. The economy is is, is a big issue with them. Uh, education and safety in their neighborhoods, they want all of the things that um, other other demographic groups want. And we should talk to them more, I think, in that vein than, uh, you know, pushing pushing uh, an issue and just pushing it and pushing it and pushing it like immigration because that doesn't seem to be to be holding them. And we really, really, really need that group to vote Democratic. It is the largest minority group in the country now. And uh, there's going to be a time when, you know, coming in, in a few years when minority voters uh, outnumber uh, white voters in this country. We've got to appeal to those voters. We can't start seeding uh, Hispanic voters to the Republican Party because they should be natural allies of their of ours. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, and and that's going to be an important issue in a lot of states along the Sun Belt. Let's move up to um, the north. East of the country, Midwest, and Ohio, and some interesting news there. Tim, kind of give us a synopsis of what has transpired on the Republican side in Ohio Senate race. Well, uh, you know, uh, Senator Portman's retiring, so it's an open seat. And the latest polling, uh, Compilate polling, had uh, Mandel at 21, Gibbons 19.3, and Vance at 14. And there are like five others in the race or something like that at at 8.3 or below. But the coveted Trump endorsement went to J.D. Vance. Uh, For those who don't know who he is, he's a venture capitalist, and he's the author of, uh, what is that, Hillbilly Elegy? Um, And uh, in Particularly, it upset Gibbons, who was Donald Trump's statewide coordinator in 2016. So he's he's walked the walk with Donald Trump. Um, Gibbons, even in trying to court Trump, you might remember he's the one that said just a couple of weeks ago that millions more people voted than were registered to vote. Y'all y'all remember that? And, and, of course, no proof or, or anything like that. But in this um, close, close race with three guys, Trump uh, made J.D. Vance his uh, guy over Gibbons and, and, uh, Gibbons and, and Josh Mandel, and we're just waiting now on the next round of polling to see how it affects it. Um, Now, on the Democrat side, we know that it's Tim Ryan's race. Um, 
but but otherwise, that's basically where we're at in Ohio at the moment. All the talk's been about Donald Trump making his endorsement this weekend. Yes, Catherine, I kind of thought that J.D. Vance was fading in a big, big way until he got this endorsement. And we had any polls to, to, you know, statistically suggest otherwise. We just have our gut um, what Trump endorsements has done other places. What do you think the impact of that endorsement is going to be? Um, I'm sure it will help him uh, in this primary, right, because there will be a primary. But I wonder – I can't help but wonder what's going to happen in the general. And I think a lot of it has – a lot of it has to do with the impact of how Trump candidate, Trump-endorsed candidates do – across the country, so in, in the primary. So um, if they do well, then it gives them a boost. But if some do well and some don't, then, then they have a problem and they're going to have to, you know, figure out how to message on that, like why, why they should continue to support these Trump-endorsed candidates. Um, and I'm just sure that if Trump doesn't it doesn't prevail as he expects to, that he's going to have some, you know, some moments where he, uh, you know, does his thing where he blows up on stage and. But we've learned that that actually does can help him. Oddly, so. I think a lot's going to depend on how how the primary goes for these Trump endorsed candidates. Yeah, Tim, there's a lot to discuss here, but I think we got time for one more aspect. And it's something that happened before last week's show, and we just didn't get to it. Mike Gibbons, who I kind of was surprised, um, you know, did so well. He's been, I guess, first, second, and third in polls um, recently. He's a businessman. And he made the statement that the middle class is not paying enough taxes, and the rich essentially are paying too much. I don't have the exact quote in mm-hmm. front of me, but it was quite um, quite strange um, politically and probably economically, if you understand, you know, taxation rates and how much, you know, five percent of somebody's income is if they make fifty thousand compared to if they make fifty million. Um, Mm-hmm. And so um, what was your take on Mike Gibbons' statement about two weeks ago? Well, he, I mean, he not only said that, but he he also made that crazy statement about millions more people voted than were actually registered to vote. So he, that's not the first crazy statement he's made. But still, we don't have a brand-new round of polling to see how all of this is going to shake out. Um, it, it, it was thought going into this race that if there was going to be a real out-in-the-weeds candidate, it would more likely be Josh Mandel. And the polling has seemed to indicate that in a matchup with Ryan in no, November, even though Josh Mandel's leading in the polls, he would run worse uh, than the other two against Ryan, even though he would still win. Uh, I, I don't know if I look as much for Gibbons to fall off as to see what Vance is going to do. If he's sitting at 14%, surely this Trump endorsement's going to kickstart him. Because um, that's, that's, you know, all, all three of them were openly campaigning for that endorsement. And uh, Vance Vance is the winner of it. Um, given yeah. what he said would hurt him in November more than it would hurt him now. Well, I wouldn't think it would help. Uh, this, this new type of Trump voter, um, I, I don't think they – they probably are middle-class voters, and they probably don't think they pay – or even lower middle class, and they probably don't think they pay too much – in taxes, or I'm sorry, they don't pay, you know, they should be paying more. Um, and I do think this endorsement of J.D. Vance is very, very curious. 
and that he made some very anti-Trump comments during the 2016 election. And I kind of thought if one thing, Trump had a long memory when told about something to hold a grudge. And this is him not holding a grudge against Vance for whatever reason. Well, we will say how this works out. Go ahead. I was going to say one thing. Apparently, last year, Vance was actually taken to Mar-a-Lago, where he was interviewed at length uh, by Trump and, and some some of Trump's people. And apparently, he, he, he did very well in that interview and made a very, very favorable impression. So I think they've been thinking about this endorsement for a while. Yeah. Well, of course he did well. He's probably the smartest guy in the race. Uh, I, I mean, he's usually the, the GOP is known for having the less intellectual candidate. This might even be a case that y'all know how much I love Tim Ryan. I mean, J.D. Vance is probably more intellectual than even Tim Ryan, but he's fake. Um, uh-huh. you know, and, and can he fool the voters of Ohio because he's been all over the map in the past you know, five years politically? I mean, are they going right. to see any there there? Um, but that's, once again, that's a state that's the opposite of Florida. It's losing voters. Um, it's not growing mm-hmm. in the same way, and is it who stays um, that will determine things. So great mm-hmm. show. Glad to get the three of us together. Um, next week we have Mike Tierney, our friend of multiple times, calling in to talk to us about the NIL deals, which even though it's a sports topic, it's a sports topic that goes to the heart of, Funding in colleges, Supreme Court rulings, and we may discuss some other things too, but I think that NIL deal, even though it seems like it's only sports, it has a lot of political implications. So he'll be our guest next week, and we're excited about that. Until next week, from the Cousin Vine. Good night, guys. We are the heirs of that first revolution with a strong and united America.